Hello everybody, welcome to the second podcast in the Future of Work series with Ritesh Adnani, President Tech Mahindra Business Process Services. Hello Ritesh, welcome back. Hey Sridham, thanks for having me back on the podcast. And good morning, good afternoon, good evening, uh, wherever you are uh, in the world right now. So Ritesh, you know, after the first podcast, I had the opportunity to share that with uh, the friend of mine, with a competitor. And, you know, a couple of points that you made, actually, you know, it actually became quite common knowledge and it be, it's becoming a talking point with a lot of people around uh, our industry that work from anywhere kind of a concept that you said, you know, he actually pointed out that it's now becoming a standard in most of their uh, sales presentations and anything that they are doing with their clients. It's going out with the, with the specific understanding that they can have work from anywhere and a business continuity plan if anything goes wrong in future also. So they, they are actually looking at it from a very active angle because it's not just something that, you know, we said that, oh, it will come in future. It's already, uh, we are seeing that shift happening already within our industry. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, work from anywhere is here to stay. It is going to be the new currency of from an operating model standpoint. And uh, the more we adapt to the fact that this is indeed the new reality, uh, the more successful businesses will be and more resilient as we go into the future itself. Ritesh, you know, after the first podcast that we did, there was some, when you look at the industry itself and when you look at the ITES, IT industry, the global services delivery model, do you think that there is going to be some huge changes that we will see in the days to come now? You know, Sriram, that's a great question. I think uh, what COVID-19 did, and we're still seeing the, the, the effects of the same, given the fact that the pandemic is still playing out, is the fact that we are at the tip of the iceberg in terms of tectonic shifts in the global service delivery model itself. What do I mean by that? Let's, let's talk about a scenario pre-COVID. Prior to COVID hitting us, business continuity planning, risk management, etc., for clients as well as for service providers, for, for all practical purposes, was a check in the box. I don't think anybody in their wildest of dreams expected that we'd end up being in a scenario where globally you'd have a pandemic hit us simultaneously and you'd end up having a shutdown happen in every part of the world pretty much at the same time. Most business continuity plans you know, lock in a scenario where a particular city is shut down, a particular facility is shut down, and you provision for either a dedicated you know, requirement, depending on the complexity of the process or the uh, technology operation to stand up the site in, a, in an alternate location, you keep for additional headcount, uh, seats, so on and so forth. And I think when, when you ended up having uh, COVID-19 hit us at the scale and uh, in the manner in which it did, which was a global lockdown of sorts, uh, a lot of those business continuity plans, which were traditionally out there, have been thrown out of the window. I would not be surprised if going forward, this is something much like customer experience where boards are asking customers, what is your business continuity plan? How do we ensure that we don't run into a scenario like what we did with, with COVID-19 ever again? And what can you do to best protect us against that scenario itself? So I think that's definitely going to be one big shift in terms of how business continuity plans get framed going forward from a change in global service delivery model itself. We talked a little little while back about the work from anywhere model. I think there is going to be a fundamental shift where clients will ask service providers, why can't you work from anywhere? Why does it necessarily need to be in the in a in a physical space itself? So I think work from anywhere will default to being the new normal and people will end up 
having to justify why something needs to be done in an office. It's not to say that there are certain kinds of work that will not get done in the office itself, depending on the complexity of the of the, of the technology requirement, depending upon the complexity of the process, depending upon the security data privacy considerations, there will still be some work that will get done in the in a in a physical setting itself. However, the fact that the, what what the current scenario or the current environment has shown us over the last eight weeks, the fact that a significant part of work can be done remotely in 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 several instances also at at higher productivity levels as well demonstrates the resiliency of the model itself. And I think the third thing that will probably accelerate the shift in the global service delivery model is is the speed of infrastructure enablement itself. One of the things that that has been a challenge in the last 8 to 12 weeks has been, you know, are living spaces in countries like India and Philippines geared up for doing a remote work from anywhere environment itself? Do you have broadband connectivity? Do you have internet speeds that that allow you to to, uh, work in a seamless fashion? Can you get voice quality at the same levels at what you have? Can you have infrastructure from a hardware, software standpoint provisioned in a timely fashion? And I think a lot of those things to me will become hygiene factors, which will check in the box because I I don't think we have an alternative. What What I've been most pleased with coming out of the current environment is just the resiliency. I've looked at different countries across the globe and most countries have responded exceptionally well in enabling their workforce to work from work from anywhere coming out of COVID itself. And that to me suggests that the shift in the global service delivery model uh, will be here to stay. We will end up having three kinds of workforces that will be there. There will be some that will work from anywhere post-COVID. There will be those that will have to come into an office post-COVID. And there will be those that will be high, that will be a hybrid. They will work some some parts of their time in a work from anywhere environment and some parts of the time in an office. And I think that is indeed going to be the service delivery model of the future. The other element that would also come into play is with this is going to be uh, de-risking as well. Clients are going to look at how much of their technology processes are concentrated with a single partner itself. And is that an opportunity for them to de-risk themselves so that they don't end up getting they don't end up being caught in a scenario where they can't restore their operations itself. Number two, there is going to be probably a, a shift in terms of how businesses evaluate their operations, particularly with the advent of technology and automation itself. And, and what does that do in terms of the mix between what's done in a outsource, offshore mode versus what's done locally within country itself? Some of these are going to be the other implications of shifts that, are, that you're likely to see in the global service delivery model. Ritesh, COVID-19 is proving to be a major tipping point for digital transformation of the workforce and workplace. I mean, it looks nearly impossible to put that digital genie back into the bottle. And uh, once the health emergency is over, I think there will be also be a challenge for all people when they're looking at this kind of digital transformation because we cannot actually push it away or you know hold it back it's it's like you know it just has it's like a rolling ball that is uh, just coming downhill now yeah i think you know somebody said uh, said this and i i couldn't echo the sentiment more but covid-19 is probably the single biggest catalyst that is there for digital transformation we have done 3 years of digital transformation in 3 months and that that i think is remarkable in terms of what people have adopted to and realized is the art of the possible the pace of technology acceleration that we have seen in the last 
three, you know, eight to 12 weeks has been remarkable. And what this has also shown is that firms that were already on the path to digital maturity have been more resilient and will probably emerge stronger coming out of this crisis. At the same time, I also believe that firms that have been that have been struggling in the last eight to 12 weeks, some of our customers who have taken forever to, you know, some of some of the customers who've taken forever to enable work from work from home, work from anywhere itself. And and it's important to watch how this is going to play out in the next eight to twelve quarters, because it's my firm hypothesis that what is playing out right now is going to be a source of competitive advantage. And firms that were quick off the block to enable a work from anywhere environment, firms that were already digitally mature or were well down the path of being digitally mature are going to emerge stronger with greater market share and potentially have business models that are a lot more resilient than firms that, that have been lagging on this front. And this is something that, that we need to watch for, but I wouldn't be surprised if in the next eight to 12, 12 quarters, there's going to be a significant shakeout from a market share standpoint coming out of how people responded to COVID-19. Aritish, how has the future of work and learning been fundamentally altered by the outbreak of COVID-19? Or, you know, has it merely brought forward the threshold to inevitable and automated future that we were supposed to see in some time? So so the one thing to bear bear in mind is, uh, look, even pre-COVID, you know, we were already down the path of looking at automation, AI, machine learning, and other such new emerging digital technologies that were that were taking shape, right? And every large enterprise, every large government ecosystem was thinking about this, right? What what does it mean in terms of automation, AI, machine learning, new age technologies, and how are they creating the jobs of the future? In in my mind, I think, and and by the way, this is something that's 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 relevant to every industrial revolution. Every industrial revolution creates takes away tasks of existing jobs and creates new jobs for the future. And, and I think it's the way how businesses and operating models have evolved over the last several years itself. But I think there'll be two big shifts, right? First, a lot of the repetitive tasks at the workplace will get automated with machines and AI. And when that happens, humans will do cognitive non-repetitive tasks. Humans will have to start looking at using machines to amplify their own abilities. And I think this shift from repetitive to non-repetitive tasks is a is a big one. It's already playing out in the market. It's already playing out in the workforce. And I think it will continue to play out in the workforce itself. But I think the second thing which, which I'm actually quite intrigued about is what I think COVID-19 is going to do is accelerate the pace of moving away from a people-only workplace to a humans plus machine, but also taking advantage of, of a gig economy. You're now going to end up having people working you know, part-time, you're going to end up having people uh, doing specific tasks, etc. And I think the gig economy is going to bring the variability as well as the agility and speed to the workforce along with the scale that you need. Because now you can provision a workforce uh, located or geographically dispersed. Uh, machines will end up doing the problem solving. And this is going to be a very interesting shift that's going to play out is this entire combination of how humans plus machines plus being part of a gig economy is going to play out itself. And I think, I think these are two shifts to watch for. And I think COVID-19 is, is in some sense going to be a catalyst to further accelerate that. Ritesh, this next question is having a lot of bearing for a lot of people who are right now in the workforce. Because it's not just for Tech Mahindra, but even for the entire IT, ITES industry. Is there a very large need for 
you know creating a reskilling program or creating some kind of a reskilling revolution within the industry so i think this is a very important question in 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 my mind and let me explain why if you look at the way we as humans over the last several centuries have evolved we've followed a path which is almost linear in nature we we are born we start going to school at a young age we start studying we finish school we go to college once we finish college we're done with our learning and that's when we enter the workforce and i think what we are in right now from the influence of different technologies is an environment which has got to be of lifelong learning and i think that's got to be the biggest fundamental shift we will now have to move to a continuum of lifelong learning which means all of us will have to be lifelong learners we have to learn to learn we have to learn to unlearn as well what we've learned and we have to learn to relearn and these are not easy shifts for an individual to imbibe that culture of being on a learning curve for a lifetime is a very very fundamental shift and it's a very big shift the second element of this is going to be around how do we not just look to problem solve but learn to problem find it's about having the necessary curiosity the critical thinking to problem find and this is going to be extremely important so unless we are able to to set up people to to do one thing which is be in an environment where they are lifelong learners and number two look to problem find rather than problem solve only i think folks will struggle to adapt and i think this is these are two fundamental shifts that i think the workforce has to make going forward bear in mind the lines between industries are blurring and therefore one has to start thinking in a diverse cross functional way even in when it comes to gaining expertise in a particular discipline itself just that alone won't work how do we apply a technology to a business is a more valued virtue than learning the technology itself it's not enough to say i know blockchain but how do you apply blockchain to a to to a bank in a trade finance environment as has been the case as it's been a very popular use case or where are you going to apply machine learning in a in a particular industry sector these are going to be important and for that i think the workforce is going to start looking different as well historically technology meant you needed deep programming talent but i think you're also now going to start to see a blend of skills that are going to come into place you need people who can contextualize the skill to a business and apply it meaningfully which means you need people who can find problems to the point i was making earlier and then apply technology to solve those problems across businesses and therefore you need a more diverse workforce which is coming not just from engineering colleges but also from liberal arts coming from design coming from humanities coming from uh, disciplines like anthropology that's a big shift from the past where tech the tech technology revolution embraced only technologists i think these are things to watch for in terms of what i think the future portends so ritesh which are the industries and countries do you think that are uh, equipped for this kind of a shift if you look at it you know industries that have a legacy of adopting core technologies or traditional technologies often find it very difficult to repurpose themselves for the digital future and this is because they they have the legacy to deal with right however an industry that did not deeply adopt traditional technologies can now leapfrog and get ahead of the curve and i think that's something to watch for as well you know you've you've seen so many instances in the last 
10 to 20 years where you've had startups appending traditional business models. You don't know now where your competitor is going to come from. And, and, and that gets me to my next point, which is the traditional lines that have existed across industry are blurring. You know, every time I meet CXOs from different customer organizations, I see that they are not worried about peers from their own industry, but more about what other industries are doing. The ability to know what's going on in, in retail for a telco customer has never been more pervasive than, than what we are seeing right now. And it's because what other industries are doing is what is actually giving them sleepless nights because they don't know which other industry is going to create the next competitor. You know, a CXO of a bank is saying, tell me what you're doing with retail customers. We want to know about them. And I think the same holds true. So the ability to connect the dots and, and say, here's where a use case that's working in sector A is going to apply to sector B is going to be important. I think the same in the same breath, right? If you take countries... You look at what India and China are, are doing. They were far slower in the past compared to their Western counterparts in traditional technology adoption itself. But they're leapfrogging right now and creating digital platforms that are distinctly superior. Right? And, it's, and a lot of this is easier for them because they do not have as many legacy systems and legacy processes to deal with. However, if you look at the Western world, they, in contrast, must tackle the challenge of repurposing legacy capital and legacy skills for the digital future. Emerging economies can just leapfrog. They don't have the baggage. I mean, just look at, you know, the mobile phone revolution, right? 20 years back that happened. India was not even connected from a landline standpoint across, across its population. And then came the wave of mobiles and they were able to uh, leapfrog and instantly you got an economy which was a mobile economy. It's the same same theory playing out and history does have a way of repeating itself out here. I think the opportunity set that's there for certain countries is going to be enormous to leapfrog and actually move to digital platforms. We're already seeing that in terms of the Indian government response to the pandemic itself and, and you know it's still work in process but the digital platforms that they're creating reflect some of that. However, one of the things to watch for also, which is a cautionary note I'll put, is, you know, historically you had, let's say, a country like China, which applied a lot of labor arbitrage when they created a massive manufacturing ecosystem. But today, if you look at, you know, with technologies having advanced and, you know, you have a significant amount of automation on the manufacturing shop floor, the human element there is on the decline, right? And you end up having the opportunity for that, again, human-machine collaboration that's playing out in sectors like manufacturing. But what does that do? That erodes a competitive advantage that that, that might have existed in the past. And therefore, it's, it's also a question that most countries will have to ask and most industries in a particular country will have to ask is that com competitive advantage is not necessarily going to remain forever. And therefore, what are they continuously doing to reinvent themselves to reinvigorate their operating model itself. And these are things to watch for as well. Ritesh, how will the jobs of the future need to balance between technical skills on one hand and emotional and social skills on the other hand? You know, that's a fascinating question, uh, Sriram. And, and I think uh, the technologies of the future, uh, and I kind of alluded to this, are going to change the nature of what the workforce is going to look like, right? On one hand, you will need, you will continue to need technologies. You will need to have deep programming skills to build these technologies. But I don't think that in itself is going to be enough. What I think will get valued even more are the abilities to find uh, the pressing problems that 
that businesses have, that society has, and then find ways to apply those technologies itself to solve those problems. We talked about curiosity and problem finding a little while back. I think that's going to be extremely important to ensure that you can actually solve the problems of the future and use these technologies to solve the problems. And therefore, having that emotional and empathetic quotient to use technology to make our lives better, that's going to be important. And for that, you know, it means that the traditional ways in which we have run businesses where we employ folks who have deep programming skills will have to coexist with people that you get from the liberal arts, design, humanities, and other backgrounds. And that mix is going to, going to happen more so than before. It did not have in the past, it did not happen in the past. It did not happen in the first, first few in technology revolutions that hit us, but it, it's got to happen more and more in the digital age where diverse technologies are being embraced across industries. And it's now that the emotional and human aspect of technology will shine through. I think the other part of it is that, you know, historically people talked about developing expertise in one particular area itself. You know, they developed deep competencies, deep expertise in one area. And I think increasingly having a broader embrace of multiple disciplines is going to be extremely important. And that's a shift again. Our traditional educational systems have focused on, again, a linear specialist kind of a uh, advancement of itself. And I think now you'll end up having to be in an environment where you need to learn, you need to unlearn, and you need to relearn. And you need to embrace multiple disciplines. And these are, again, bigger shifts itself. So that you can problem find and then apply technology to solve that problem itself. One way to do that is to, is to ensure that these are two shifts that come into play. And, and these are things to watch for uh, because they're going to be extremely important in the digital age. What advice would you give to young people who are just about to enter the workforce? Lifelong learning, in my mind, is going to be a fundamental attribute in, in, in these digital times itself. You know, I talked about this a little while back. You know, at present, you know, people are born, they go to school, they learn, they go to college, they learn, and then they're ready for a job. And then everybody thinks that they're done with this entire paradigm of learning itself. That has to shift. And I think, you know, I tell this to my children as well that, you know, read, read, read and read as much as you can, because unless you know what's happening around the in the world around you and you nurture a mindset of being a lifelong learner, what you learn today as, you know, is likely to get obsolete in a, in a few months. It could be a, in a few years, et cetera. So unless you're on this path of unlearning and relearning and doing that consistently through your entire career journey itself you're not going to be relevant. So to be relevant, lifelong learning is going to be absolutely fundamental. It's going to be important because there's so much new stuff happening around us. There's so much change happening around us. And to ensure that we're able to act appropriately, adapt to the changing environment, lifelong learning is going to be a fundamental human attribute for success. Ritesh, thanks for taking the time to speak with us. We'll continue this conversation in future podcasts around the Future of Work series. Stay tuned for further talks on the same. Thank you. Thank you, Sriram, for having me on the podcast as always.